Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. We're also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of getting a pet trust for their loved pet. We also provide pet trustee services. And for more information, you can visit us at actforpets.org. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Mark Peralta. He is the Chief Programs Officer of Best Friends Animal Society. And I want to tell you a little bit about Mark because he has a really interesting background. As the Chief Program Officer, Mark Peralta brings together Best Friends programs and aligns all things related to Best Friends direct care work outside of the sanctuary, along with developing the knowledge and capabilities of individuals and partner organizations involved in life-saving in order to empower them to achieve no-kill in their own backyard. These initiatives include life-saving programs, national programs, shelter outreach, mentorship, staff embedding programs, community cat programs, no-kill leadership, training and emergency response training and operations. And prior to this position, Mark served as the Senior Director of National No-Kill Advancement, and before that, Senior Director of Regional Programs for a year, overseeing Best Friends' newest initiatives and the foundation of building out and expanding Best Friends strategy, partnerships, and programming in the key Southeast and Mid-Atlantic regions. Before that, Mark served as the Executive Director for Best Friends in Los Angeles for five years. In 2011, Los Angeles was struggling to save just over half of the cats and dogs that were entering city shelters. But because of Mark's and Best Friends leadership, LA is now on track to reach a 90% save rate the threshold for designation as a no-kill city. Mark's duties as, as executive director included operations for the Best Friends Life Saving Center in Mission Hills, California, and the NKLA Pet Adoption Center in West Los Angeles, as well as leadership of the NKLA Coalition, which comprises more than 140 animal welfare organizations. Mark has also served as Vice President and CEO, as well as Interim CEO at the Pennsylvania Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, known as the PSPCA. It's located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And at PSPCA, he was directly responsible for seven statewide facilities, animal control for the city of Philadelphia, and humane law enforcement for the state of Pennsylvania. In addition to his duties at the Pennsylvania SPCA, Mark was a member of the board of directors for the animal care and control team of Philadelphia. Prior to working for PSPCA, Mark worked with, as an animal care manager um, in roles at the Nevada Humane Society in Reno, Nevada, working with the team there to bring Washoe County to no-kill status in 2008, and we're happy to report it remains no-kill today. 
He also was at the Humane Society of the Pikes Peak region in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you met him, he's way too young to have accomplished all of this, but <laughs> wow, Mark, welcome to the show. That was quite an intro. Thank you, Peggy. You got it all down there. Well, gosh, it just seems like you've done so many wonderful things for animals. And um, I know from our chat beforehand that you're really motivated by um, the impact you can make for the lives of animals. So tell us a little bit about that in your background. Well, um, I owe everything to animals myself. So I grew up um, with divorced parents, as many of us of my generation have. I'm about to turn 44 um, and I had loving parents, but the fact of the matter is, is I was moving in between them and I was moving all the time. So I went to 13 different schools between K and 12. So when you do that, you learn to make friends quickly, but you don't really have deep relationships. But so the deepest relationship I had were with my cat and dog and, and literally, um, they really, along with my immediate family helped me get through childhood and, and be where I was. So it wasn't a conscious decision for me to work in animal welfare, honestly. However, I did gravitate when I wanted to take a job to try to finish college and get my degree was in an animal shelter. And it was because of the impact animals had on me. That's such a good story. And um, although Best Friends is located in Utah, you're actually mm -hmm. in Rhode Island. I live in Rhode Island now. Yes. My partner, she is from here. We met in Los Angeles when I was out there working for Best Friends. So, and my work is national. So I'm all over the place. So it's, it's fine. As long as I have an airport that's handy, I I'm, I'm good. So, so we're good where we are right now. That's excellent to know. Well, tell us uh, what's happening at Best Friends Animal Society. Give us some background, how they got started and what their overall mission is. So Best Friends founded, uh, we have a the largest uh, animal sanctuary in North America, and it's right outside of Kanab, Utah. If you've never been to Kanab, Utah, I would recommend, and it's not, you can go visit the sanctuary and there's a lot of really cool things. Horses, uh, goats, pig, piggy paradise is my personal favorite. Um, I love that area, but of course, Dogtown, Cat World, Wild Friends. There's all of these places that you can go and volunteer, but you also have... Um, Bryce Canyon, Zion Canyon, a lot of those um, kind of areas. So, um, but the founders of Best Friends um, found this land and basically like a lot of Americans, you know, they, animals were an important part of their own ecosystem. Um, and they had lost an animal at a certain amount of time and, and that animal was picked up by local animal control. And by the time they'd gotten there, they realized that animals were actually being um, killed simply because they ran out of time. Um, you know, it was for space. They were controlling space. And I think like a lot of people, that was astonishing to them that that was happening. And you're talking about the early 80s, late 70s at this point. So, I mean, it's a long time ago, 40 years ago. But uh, unlike a lot of people, what they decided to do was dedicate their lives around asking the question of why that needs to continue. Um, so they found a, a plot of land, Angel Canyon, which is outside of Kanab, where the, currently the sanctuary is. Um, and officially became Best Friends Animal Society. Uh, so, you know, we're well over 30. We celebrated 30 years, obviously, um, a while back now. I mean, shoot, we're we're um, getting close to 40 at this point, if you can believe that. Um, but anyway, um, it, it, it really was uh, people that didn't know really what they were doing, but they knew they wanted to do something for animals. They didn't really have all of the, the wording and the verbiage correctly, but they knew that there had to be a, a better way of, of providing care for animals and especially animals that end up in shelters. And um, no kill is kind of what came out of that. And a lot of that was just 
us um, creating magazines in the early 90s, sharing stories along with uh, organizations like HSUS and, and others who were talking about animal welfare. And our stint was more on telling positive stories and highlighting kind of newer no-kill movement, like with Rich Avanzino in San Francisco in the early 90s and some of that. So we've been around a long time, but it could have been easily a cautionary tale of people that were getting in over their heads. But luckily, they were crafty. Um, they relied on cities that were near them because Kanab is not near really anything, but Vegas, Los Angeles, Salt Lake City to go and fundraise and talk about the sanctuary and the work that was there. And it really connected with people because they love animals and they didn't want to see animals being put to death. And especially back then, I don't think that was in large part really well known in the United States that animals actually face those kind of outcomes in shelters and, and drastically so when you're talking about 1984. I agree. I don't think that that was well known. And um, as a child, every report I ever gave ever in school had something to do with animals. And um, so oh, I had a, unlimited resources of things to talk about. And um, <laughs> and here I am all these years later, still talking still about doing animals it. Still doing it. <laughs> and enjoying it um, because I'm just amazed. And I'm so happy that the founders did what they did and, and that they were successful, even if it was by happenstance or yeah. uh, universal uh, forces that came together to make sure that there was going to be a place like Best Friends. Um, you say that they're the largest in North America. Give us an idea what that means in terms of the numbers of animals that you have. Oh, you're talking well over 1,500 animals. And again, dogs and cats are the biggest number populations that we have, but we have everything. Oh, no, I shouldn't say everything. We have a lot of different species at the Frank, at the sanctuary, horses and, and goats. Um, there's also, I mean, massive amounts of acreage and land there too. Not all of it that can be um, um utilized um you know because it's it's beautiful i mean it's just it's gorgeous it's breathtaking and you should definitely go there um but i think the thing that's amazing about best friends and what had me run running there was you know i worked in animal shelters um traditional animal shelters and and really enjoyed that work but oftentimes i would be focused on i don't know 30 things at once so I never really felt like I had great direction or great impact. And that's an important thing for me. And I felt like I knew I did good work, but I was doing cruelty cases and animal control and a lot of different things and, and a lot of times fighting for budgets. And when what I saw with Best Friends in the, in the early, uh, well, around 2011, 2012, was they were trying to really um, address the biggest issue, which is animals being killed for space. There's a lot of issues in animal welfare. So it's really easy to get overwhelmed. And for me, the thing that affected me the most as somebody that just wanted to take a college job, figure out what I want. I thought I was going to be, I was going to be like you, Peggy. I was going to do contract. I was going to be a contract lawyer. Um, and what ended up happening is I was being trained. Somebody that was a music promoter and that had worked at the gap, you know, was, was, killing animals for lack of better for space and euthanizing dangerous animals as well but most of it was killing healthy animals and it changed everything and best friends really wanted to focus on that so it was i knew it wasn't going to solve every problem in animal welfare but it was it was um specific enough for me to say what is the major you know it's like you know you're in a car wreck and you want to make sure that the heart and the head are okay and to me in animal shelters like stopping the killing is making sure there you might still have broken ankles your knee might still be busted but we have to, what is the biggest thing that's killing us as an industry? And I think it was that, and it certainly was that personally for me. So that's why I was here. And the founders created that vision. 
That is that is an incredible vision to have, number one. I, I think there's a lot of um, misinformation, if you will, out there about what no-kill actually means, though. Yes. Can, can you help clarify that a little bit? Absolutely. So it's it's a very popular rallying cry. Um, and I think for better, mostly for better, but sometimes for worse in the public, where people really understand now that there is the whole point of having no kill language was to 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 delineate and separate the fact that there are euthanasia, which are dangerous animals, animals that are sick and suffering. But that term tended to be an umbrella term for everything dying in shelters. And that, frankly, was just not true. So trying to not sanitize that happening was important. And that's kind of what the genesis of the no-kill movement really is about. But to your point, it also doesn't mean that every animal entering a shelter should have a live outcome. Because if they are dangerous or if they are sick and suffering, you don't keep an animal alive to keep them alive. So it, it does not mean – so it's really – and that's where – you know, we have a benchmark, a 90% benchmark, and you have 52% of the organizations in the country, uh, brick and mortar shelters are at or above that marker. It's not a 100% um, marker for everybody, but right now it works really well. And it gives you that kind of buffer that you're going to have one out of 10 dogs and cats potentially coming in that it is the right thing to do. It is kindness to uh, euthanize them. They're sick, they're suffering, they're not getting better. But a majority of the animals, it's us having to problem solve how to solve for ringworm or, you know, separation anxiety or things like that, which really shouldn't cause an animal's life to be ended. Right. Well, and I'm amazed at the number you just quoted for the number of shelters that actually are making that benchmark. So, yes. I mean, I love to hear that. Um, I think it might be important just to say, though, that that doesn't necessarily apply to municipal shelters. It doesn't, but municipals are kicking in. So you're talking about almost 30% of municipal shelters kind of reaching that number, too. Some of them cool. are small. Some of them yeah. are bigger. So we're making progress. But you're right. That, it's it's tougher there. Yeah. So I, I just want people to get away from the idea um, though, that if, a, if you take your animal to a shelter, that there is not a guaranteed live outcome. Right. Um, not That's every right. animal gets a home. Um, we, we should be making lifetime commitments to our pets um, when we get them, kind of like adopting a child. Um, they come into our lives and they ought to stay there forever. The good, the bad, the ugly, um, because there are problem pets. I understand that. Um, behavior issues are probably what the number one reason people give up animals. Yeah, that I mean, stray getting lost. So who knows, you know what I mean, or really, but it's a huge component. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about how technology and data is factoring into all of this life-saving work, because I mean, you're quoting us some statistics. So obviously you're keeping a lot of data. Yeah, I mean, Peggy, you've been in this industry a long time as well and been a fan of animals. And I think the thing like a lot of industries is you want to make sure that you're working off of facts, which is a problem sometimes in animal welfare, because, you know, we are in a emotional industry. And, you know, I remember when I worked um, at the Pennsylvania SPCA, I mean, all I did was cruelty work. So, you know, you, it really can effectively change your um, thought process around who people are and how they treat animals. And the unfortunate reality is that exists. But, you know, you it's easy to go off in kind of impressions or you know, anecdotal information. And for us to really be real about what's going on, because there are definitely problems, um, you want to focus on data. So one of the biggest things that we did, you know, Best Friends um, set an initiative and a goal of, of seeing the United States reach every shelter, every community at 90% by 2025. So that was less than, we were at less than 20% at that point 
um, of brick and mortars. We're now over 50. Um, but in that, it's like you really what are really the issues? And part of it is you need transparency to, to know what shelters are struggling with. And because shelters don't all fit like the Humane Society of the United States does not oversee every humane society. There are all siloed different organizations. So if we, you know, and sometimes you even ask shelters, they think their biggest issue are dogs. And then when you actually get their stats, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, nine out of every 10 cat that's in your shelter is not getting out. You definitely need to work on dogs too, but you'll see that stuff a lot. And data is what really helps you focus on what's real versus what's anecdotal or emotionally uh, hinged. And and my work in LA was big. When I first got there, everybody was telling me I needed to save the chihuahuas. Um, it was a big talking point in Los Angeles. And there's a lot of chihuahuas in Los Angeles. But when I actually looked at the stats, you know, it was cats and kittens that were dying like seven out of 10. Chihuahuas actually weren't really dying at high rates. It was just the impression. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's why data is so important. I, I still feel like there is a general impression that there's an overabundance of chihuahuas in in Los Angeles. There certainly is. And, and we certainly get a lot of them. Wonderful chihuahuas in the shelters, but they're at least in the city. And I think both in the city and the county now, they're not really much at risk unless they're probably euthanasia candidates, like really. Okay. Yeah. And then the other breed that I hear about in, in California, not to pick on LA, but um, would be huskies. You know, um, yes. Uh, I dealt with a lot of Huskies when I was in Reno. And I think that makes sense. The mountains and boy, they were tough because they're so smart and they're so mischievous, like trying to keep them in kennels for any period of time. They would open doors. They would climb fences. I don't recall. And again, I'd have to look at data. Um, they definitely are there, but, you know, they're just a popular pet and they're beautiful. But boy, they, you know, certain households, it's really difficult to have them. Yes, which really goes to the point that we should pick our pets based on our family and how active we are and yep. how active the animal is. And oh my goodness, um, I feel like every time a dog wins Westminster, that's the favorite oh, yeah. dog of the year, right? Or or a movie, right? Uh, yes. You know, 101 Dalmatians comes out and here we go. No, sure. I, I agree. I mean, I ended up with senior pets. I, I almost own completely senior pets now. It's because I'm a busy lifestyle. They're like throw pillows. You know what I mean? They're so much easier. I could never own puppies. I just don't have the, you know, the time or the patience. I think that's funny because I have fostered some seniors and I, of course, had my share of seniors, but uh, senior animals are wonderful in all shapes and sizes. And <laughs> I was even looking at a uh, a friend's shelter the other day and they have a 16 year old Pomeranian that they're looking for a home for. And I'm like, he would be like the easiest dog in the world to take care of. hundred percent. I mean, wow. yeah, they're a little bit more expensive. So I do understand that, but I mean, they're so easy, <laughs> so much easier. Well, and littles are, are easier than the big dogs too. Um, I have a Husky Labrador, so I certainly know uh, a little bit about the Husky traits. I mm -hmm. One of my favorite Facebook pages is uh, Husky Haven uh, uh -huh. here in yeah, uh, yeah. Orlando area. I, I just drool over those dogs on a daily basis. Um, but I also know my limits. Um, People do ask me, why do you have six dogs, Peggy? And I say, because my husband won't let me have 10. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> because it would be easy to say yes to um, a lot of dogs, um, but they are lifetime commitments and they do yeah. take a lot of time and energy yep. and um, finances and yeah, planning yes. and oh, yeah. 
And a lot of sleepless nights, by the way, um, mm -hmm. for folks that don't know, because they are like having babies and uh, they never do grow up. And if they're not sleeping well at night, you're not sleeping well either. That is very happy true. To say. That is very um, true. Well, so I love Best Friend's goal to um, end the killing of shelter pets by 2025. I love that that goal's out there. It sounds like uh, the nation is on track to perhaps make make that goal. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of work to do, but yeah, we're, we, you know, you're talking about now as an aggregate number of shelter, uh, dogs and cats in particular losing their lives. It's less than 500,000. And that's remarkable. Like think about your dad's time and yeah. what shelters were dealing with then, like oh, yeah. just, and it's, and it's on the shoulder of giants, like people like that, you know, this has been a tremendous and it's amplified luckily um, in the last 20, 25 years, but this progress is being made over a lot of, a lot of years, but we're really trying to you know, people complain about social media and I get that, but at times it makes it so much easier to be able to find um, isolated shelters and places like that and really get them motivated or just aware um, of different ways of doing things. And it's, it's big. I think that's true. And we can yeah. use social media for some very positive outcomes. Yeah. Um, so what are you, what do you think the biggest challenges are that shelters, not just best friends, but shelters all over America are facing right now? So there's a few. Um, I think the obvious one, if you asked 10 shelter directors right now what their biggest issue, they're going to, I think they're going to, most of them are going to talk to you about their staffing levels. Um, you know, that's been a, a industry, uh, out of industry issue uh, along within the industry. And part of it is just like what we talked about um you know, when, when I started in shelter, like actually we didn't talk about this, but the one thing that was kind of eye catching to me was how much I felt like I was in a shelter with really great people, but the practices seemed to be somewhat archaic, you know, like we hadn't, it didn't feel like, I mean, that was 2006 at the time. And I was like, wow. And I would talk to people that had been there 30 years. And I said, well, how different is this shelter operating than it did and operated in 1985? And they said, that's pretty much the same. And I said, okay, I, I kind of felt that way. Um, and in that kind of process, um, I think a lot of shelters have been slow to the game of, you know, it's hard to find really good kennel workers for seven fifty an hour. Um, and I know that we struggle with budgets I, and I, but you, you know, there's certain things that you can and can't prioritize. Also, you know, municipals can make it difficult with their structures and how to actually bring people in and creativity. So I think that's the first thing people would say is, is, but there's things that what I'm getting at Peggy is there's, we don't have, there's not everything we can't control. There's things that we can do. Like, I think the other thing, if you want to get really into specific species, like community cats are such a big struggle um, around because some of it is so in, unintuitive to have cats that are allowed to live outdoors and not enter shelters. And I think a lot of the general public struggle with that. And so trying to get more progression towards community cat work, because two out of three cats, you know, like it's, you know, almost like it's, over 60% of the issue, the gap that we're trying to solve for our cats. Places like Florida in particular, where you are, Peggy cats are such a big part of that. But you, you know, so many dog lovers, you know, you hear a lot about the dogs and that's good because there's still dogs that need to be saved, but cats sometimes get lost in the shuffle and there's a lot more of them dying. Um, and I think any kind of issue with larger dogs, so it doesn't matter if it's a chow, a husky, a pit bull, it's just harder for you to own those kind of pets, especially if you're not a, a pet owner or excuse me, house owner, homeowner. But even if you are a homeowner, sometimes your HOA, sometimes your insurance. Um, so those are probably the three things I would tell you is kind of the staffing levels and, and getting 
that kind of in order, community cats and large dogs. Okay. Well, those are three really important things that mm -hmm. um, I, I think that was an excellent way to distill that down. I think everybody's having staffing issues right now. So yep. unfortunately, that impact is going to be even greater in the shelter world. Um, I, I mean, law firms are having a hard time hiring. Yeah, everybody. Members. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that's a challenge. And obviously, shelter work is not remote work. You got to go to the office. Yeah. Um, because the animals have to be cared for. Yeah, be um, fed. Yep, absolutely. And I can only imagine the the uh, just the enormity of the number of people that it takes to not just run best friends with fifteen hundred plus animals, but if you just take all of the shelters across the nation and the hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of animals that are in shelter environments, the number of people that that takes. Um, to feed and water and exercise and clean pens and do exams and work mm -hmm. on behavior and training and all of the things, not to mention, you know, getting the word out and adopting them and um, doing the house visits and making sure that um, the machine is running properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind There's of a lot of pieces to the system. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so Face, with the issues that we're facing in mm -hmm. uh, the shelter communities, um, what can people do? What can our listeners do to help? Well, one thing that is maybe obvious, but shelters need you better than ever. And sometimes, I, I'm not going to lie to you, shelters are overwhelmed, but they definitely need support. And, uh, and specifically um, in the financial support. Um, and even municipals have friends of, and that really helps other things happen. So it's not even just for the privates. Um, volunteering is big. And I think the thing, you know, any of us that have flown <laughs> uh, recently, you know, you know that uh, the service that you're used to isn't kind of the same right now. And, and it's the same thing with animal shelters. So you might have to be a little bit more persistent, even if it doesn't feel like they need your help, they really do. Um, whether it's fostering animals, um, going in there and, and helping, even if you don't want to handle animals, like they have dishes to wash. I mean, that's how I got started in animal um, welfare as I started volunteering and I just started cleaning the kitchen. I just worked in the kitchen. I was like, I know how to do that. Yeah. I've worked in restaurants um, and I learned the other stuff, which was so valuable. Um, but I think more than ever, and the other thing I would say is if you know of anybody or you can add another animal to your home, adoptions are have been a real struggle for shelters um, lately. And part of it is because we don't have the staff and people don't have the patience with, with some of the ways that shelters aren't getting back to us. So a little bit of grace in helping us um, while we're struggling as a, as a movement. When I say us, I'm not talking about best friends. I'm really talking about shelters. Um, and potentially talking people into adopting. And a lot of times, like we all love, you love, you know, the spits, it sounds like. I love pugs or seniors. But, you know, animals, there's so many great animals in shelters that don't fit the perfect breed um, specifications. And sometimes you actually get a better pet that way. Oh, arguably. usually you get a better you know? pet, I think. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So even um, opening your options up to mixed breed animals and, and amazing pets, I'd be so great, grateful for you getting them out of a although shelter. Although aren't golden doodles the uh, ultimate mixed breed now? Sir, certainly sounds that way. All kinds of these kind of designer breeds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're really just mixed breed dogs that uh, That's right. have been in shelters forever. That's right. Um, my my newest addition to my family, he's a little Aussie Corgi mix. Oh my gosh. So somebody bred him as a designer dog, sold him at a pet store, unfortunately, and 
at age 11 months, he found himself in a shelter environment. And, um, you know, my listeners know that my motto is until there are none, adopt one. Yeah, um, I like it. And and I will stand by that for a long, long time to come. That was coined by my dad, John Hoyt, and uh, I'm happy to make it my own. Um, but yes, we have to adopt. So adopt, don't shop, right? And And the retail organizations are little by little, we're making efforts to get those organizations shut right. down so that we're not selling dogs, cats, kittens, puppies, bunnies um, in retail environments. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they wanted to get a, a bunny or a bird. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can adopt these all day long. So, do not so easy have to go and buy one. That's right. It's so easy. And I think you always hear this phrase, we can't adopt our way out of it. But when it comes to killing, we actually can. The, the, the math works in our favor if we could just get people a little bit more open to maybe you're not going to find a St. Bernard mix in the shelter, but that's okay. Um, and those kind of little things. So I really appreciate you pushing that message, Peggy. Because But it's you know what? You might ever. find a St. Bernard mix. And I have you never know. plenty of purebreds in the shelters. And goodness gracious, yeah. Um, and there's lots of breed rescues out there as well. That's right. Um, and I would bet just uh, perusing your site at bestfriends.org mm -hmm. um, and going to the adopt section, you probably can find just about whatever you might be looking for. Definitely. And and every personality that you can get, be it cat, dog, horse, whatever. <laughs> and if you We've can't adopt, then foster, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, um, through college, that's how I had animals. I couldn't have animals, so I just fostered kittens the entire time I was in college, and it was amazing. I love that you fostered kittens. Oh, my gosh. And we want to talk about the thing that got people to your dorm room. Have a bunch of kittens in your bathtub. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> how you attract girls in college, right? <laughs> it definitely did not hurt. No, it did not. But, I mean, it was just great to have the companionship. And, and like you said, you know, some of us work a lot. We feel like we can't have animals. Yeah, fostering. Could be a matter of weeks, a matter of days, you know, could even be a month or two, depending on the animal. And if you're a failed foster, that's okay, too. That's we. Yeah, there's nothing failing about that. We're OK. I, I've, I've done, done that many times. Fostering as well. And every one of those animals that came through my life, I still have a soft place in my heart for them. But so happy that I had that interaction and so happy that they went on to have a wonderful home. Um, yeah, agreed. It's just great. And and the seniors that I've fostered over the years or rescued, um, one of my very favorite dogs of all times that I adopted was an 11-year-old corgi. And I hmm. remember when I saw her on the website, I immediately went, oh, my God, that's my dog. And <laughs> I sent my husband a picture and I go, is this our dog? And he texts me back and he's like, I think it is. And so I reached out to the organization and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's my dog. I need her. And they were like, wait, 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 that's not the way we do it. We want you to put in an application and then we'll help you figure out which dog is your dog. And I go, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. This is my dog. <laughs> and I know. And as it turned out, she was my dog. Um, and it, we had her for two years and it was probably the best two years of her life and ours um, because we loved every minute of, of having Miss Sassy Pants. That's fabulous. That's mm -hmm. fabulous. Um, so how can people learn more about what's, what Best Friends is doing and um, especially their volunteer program? Yeah, so bestfriends.org, as you mentioned before, is a way that you can get uh, to us. And we have work 
and programs in most of the, you know, lower 48 states, um, literally where, and especially in the, in the Southern United States, where there's a lot of shelters that are struggling with a lot more volume of animals, maybe than places like where I am. Um, but please go to bestfriends.org. Um, we also have action teams. So if you're more into advocacy and you're an animal advocate, we have a lot of stuff that you can do there and signing up for our action team. And if you, you know, just want to get involved in general, you know, there's rescue groups and shelters all over this country that could use your assistance and your help, be it adoption, volunteer, fostering, like we've talked about. So whether it's us, and we even have places on our website where you can find groups close to you, but you can do a kind of a simple Google too, and that kind of puts you in touch with, with a lot of different groups probably in your area, along with us. Well, and I know I've had clients that have come out to your facility and volunteered for a week or two weeks in the summertime um, or after they retired. Um, and so, you know, volunteerism as a form of vacationing is yeah. it's a thing. People it's should a do thing. It. Yeah. Especially for us in Kanab. And like I said, if you're into outdoor stuff at all, it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. I know I'm biased, but you have a lot of national parks, North Rim of the Grand Canyon and Angel Canyon. And with seeing all those animals in that environment, you know, it's, it's incredible. If you're an animal lover, definitely do it. Well, and I'm going horseback riding in your area in a couple of weeks. So I may That's have to amazing. get out there. You should, you definitely should. Have you ever been? I might have to do that. Um, and don't forget folks, you can always leave bequests in your last will and Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, you can name, uh, organizations like best friends as a remainder beneficiary when you're creating a pet trust for the benefit of your pets. Um, as you guys know, I'm a huge advocate for um, creating a trust for the lifetime love and care of your pets. Um, but when that care is done and there are assets left in the pet trust, charities are our best choice for remainder beneficiaries because they're probably not going to be barking up our door trying to get us to terminate the trust early. They want to make sure that those animals are taken care of and uh, they'll wait patiently um, while that animal lives its best life. So think about charities as um, a choice. I think you brought up a really good point a minute ago, Mark, and I just want to come back around to that. Um, and that's the idea that HSUS does not control all the shelters in the world, um, mm -hmm. nor does the ASPCA. Um, each of these organizations are independent units. Um, they might be private not-for-profits. They might be um, more of an, uh, a national not-for-profit, but each of these organizations depends on their donors and their volunteers um, for their support. They do not get money from our IRS checks that we send money in from our paychecks. They are not government-funded organizations. They all rely on the generosity of folks who, like you who are listening. And um, right. who are willing and able to um, to provide for pets. So thank you for all that you're doing, Mark. And thank you to our listeners for all that they're doing um, in the world of animals. Um, what would you leave us with today, Mark? So we have a goal at Best Friends of getting every shelter in every community to to 90 percent. So that means, you know, only only the guys that are sick and suffering, you know, um, are there. So really stopping the killing. So I would say one, no kill means that um, it's really about animals not being put to death for population control, even if and a lot of times it gets weary with that because people struggle with dogs that have behavior issues, but it not, doesn't necessarily mean they need to lose their lives for them. Um, I think, too, is that we need your help more than ever and your shelters need your help more than ever. So please get involved. 
Um, you're listening to this podcast, so you love animals. It's obvious. So we need you. Even if you don't think we need you, we need you. And it's whether it's best friends or somebody else, just please reach out, help a shelter, um, help a shelter pet. And that's the only way we we do crazy things like No Kill 2025 is get a bunch Absolutely. of other people that are crazy enough to believe in it, too. And that's how things happen. Well, I believe that that is a possibility. And um certainly will do whatever I can to help support that goal. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you to all our listeners. And you do know my motto until there are none, please adopt one. And uh, we'll see you next time. And happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!